Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder clinic in Seattle, Washington. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today we have Dr. Amy Burns with us talking about motivational interviewing. Lexi, can you tell us a little bit about who yes. Amy is? So first and foremost, Amy is my sister. <laughs> She's 18 months older than me. And I've always looked up to her. Aww. And here she is in the podcast with us. So I'm thrilled. Oh, thanks for having me, you guys. Hi, Besides being my sister, she's also a board-certified psychiatrist, associate program director at Spokane Psychiatry Residency, clinical assistant professor at University of Washington, and is the Spokane Teaching Health Clinic Psychiatry Director. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot, Amy. <laughs> All at once. Oh my I gosh. know. That's a lot of titles. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amy, you also are an expert in motivational interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. I first got interested in motivational interviewing when I started to realize that my patients were dying at an earlier age of medical conditions. And so in an attempt to try to stop that trend, I learned everything I could about motivational interviewing and started to fall in love with the concept and the practice. And now I teach it to the residents and to family medicine docs. So that's wow. how I got into it. Wow. So how does that translate into life expectancy? Well, so people with severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder die earlier and at younger ages than the general population for a variety of different reasons. It varies from region to region, but approximately 25 years earlier than the general population. In Spokane, it's really pronounced at 37 years earlier wow. than the general population. So. It is an issue that's really close to my heart, and um, I have a lot of ideas and strategies that we've been trying to implement to impact that. And motivational interviewing is definitely an evidence-based treatment for helping people make behavior changes. So, Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how it works. The idea of motivational interviewing kind of sprung out of some work of a famous psychologist named Carl Rogers. And good old Carl Rogers, he practiced in the middle of last century and is known for being person-centered, non-directive, accepting, genuine, and empathic as his core tenets of his therapy style. And so there's a lot of effectiveness associated with those therapeutic interventions. And so these two second-generation psychologists, Miller and Rolnick, developed motivational interviewing. William Miller and Stephen Rolnick in the 1980s had been studying Carl Rogers and Rogerian therapy, and they did a little twist on it. Instead of being non-directive, they tried being a little bit more directive to keep the patient on task and focused on the change that they wanted to do. And so that's kind of where it started. They first were working with people with alcohol use disorder, but it became really obvious pretty quickly that uh, motivational interviewing is effective for all kinds of behavior change, not just addictions like alcohol use disorder or smoking or methamphetamine use disorder, but for any behavior change you want to change about yourself. So 
If you want to be better about exercising more or making sure that you do your homework on time or anything that you want to change about yourself, it can help. That's why I got into it originally is trying to figure out how I could help my patients do the things they wanted to really do. I absolutely love that. It's uh, Motivational interviewing is not something I know a lot about in depth, um, but it was one of the first evidence-based treatments I learned about in graduate school. And it's such a wonderful reminder to get some of the back history now that I'm mm-hmm. practicing. Mm-hmm. So Lexi, you had invited Amy onto the podcast initially. What do you feel excited about in this conversation around this topic? Yeah. So I love motivational interviewing for a couple probably key reasons. One of the things that I take away from motivational interviewing is ambivalence being a hallmark of change. When I understood that, I felt such relief within myself that ambivalence really is just a sign that you're in consternation about something and you're in a process of change if you are indeed ambivalent. And I also love the role with resistance piece of motivational interviewing where a person is, is I was always like that as a clinician and I, I hope to be like that as a friend as well and a parent where I'm not uh, assuming that I know more about what a person may need to do than they do. And so there's a respect in motivational interviewing that the person has it within them to make the best decision and only they know what they're going through mm-hmm. and experiencing in order to make the best decision and make change. So you used a phrase, um, roll with resistance. Mm-hmm. Amy, I bet you could probably explain some more about what that means in terms of motivational interviewing. What are you doing that would be rolling with resistance? It is an idea that if a person feels strongly one way, that you wouldn't try to tell them or disagree or tell them otherwise. And so your idea is if the patient tells you that that's not possible, then you accept that as their truth and you don't try to convince them otherwise. And so it's an ultimate form of respect of their perspective and their way of being. And so if someone tells you that they are never going to quit smoking cigarettes and they want to do this until the day they die, then you just let it roll and say, okay, that's how you're going to live your life. And so there's a certain amount of detachment that comes with motivational interviewing. Ironically, it's the part that seems to be associated with its effectiveness, like being able to let the person go and make their own decision gives them the freedom and the control they need to make decisions on their own behalf. Frequently, when people are told what to do, it doesn't go over very well. (laughs) No, I'm not surprised. Uh, So it works off a a lot better if the person themselves comes up with their own strategies and try to avoid telling other people what to do because it just ends up coming across as being authoritarian or directive and leaves a bad flavor in your mouth and somebody tells you what to do. Yeah, it makes you less likely to do it, to make the change, right? Yeah. When someone's telling you to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the hallmarks of motivational interviewing is you do not tell people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so no advice giving. Well, so there is a caveat about that because sometimes the clinician or the friend may be in a position where they know something that they want to share. And so, but you would only share if the 
patient in this case is open to hearing it. And so you can give advice if you ask permission first, mm -hmm. but you don't have the expectation that they'll actually take the advice. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, a, like an idea for them to consider in case they didn't already know about it. So with a lot of our clients at Opal, the behavior change is often, I would say, a little bit different than what I feel like we would see in other behavioral settings where I feel like at Opal we're trying to expose our clients to a less rigid way of thinking a lot of the time to not necessarily convince them to do something really specific, but to maybe stop doing something really mm -hmm. specific mm -hmm. in terms of their relationship to food or rigidity around exercise, diet mentality. How would either of you really think about motivational interviewing in that context? So our clients, of course, are hyper-motivated largely and perfectionistic and often over-controlled. So maybe our clients and maybe us even, you know, of course, in this room, maybe dealing more with guilt and shame about not having made changes that you think you're supposed to have made already. You know, change is a process in that if you don't change something, it may just be because you're not at a place of readiness to make that change. It's not some moral failing or some sign of weakness or character flaw that is likely more to do with where you are in your process of change. A lot of times people have a really good reason for living the way that they do. And it can be a huge decision or a huge process to kind of understand what got you to the behavior that you're having now and why you might want to change. And so motivational interviewing is basically looking at the pros and cons and understanding why this is working out for you and giving you a chance to reflect and see if your current behavior is consistent with your goals and values of where you want to go and who you want to be. So how does this actually look? What does it look like to do motivational interviewing? Well, shall we do it? Do you want to? Do you want to? Well, we could try to demonstrate what it looks like. Okay. There's a couple of things that are typical for a motivational interviewing interchange, but a lot of the effectiveness of motivational interviewing doesn't necessarily come from the skills or techniques of the interviewer, but rather from the spirit of motivational interviewing, which is born out of Rogerian therapy techniques. So it's kind of around being non-judgmental, listening to what the person is saying, and um, being collaborative. So those are some of the hallmarks. We can try to demonstrate here. <laughs> Live on this podcast. This podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Lexi, are you needing some behavioral change? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Lay it out for us. Okay. So I've been having the last year or so more dental problems. Mm. And whenever I go to the dentist, they're saying, you know, you need to floss every day. I need to wear your night guard every oh, night. Yeah. And I leave the dentist's office going, okay, I'm on a new foot. I'm going to be flossing every night now. And, you know, I'll go for three days or so with flossing and then trail off into like once a week, two times a week. It's kind of dumbfounding, like why I haven't just made the change. And I just, why don't I not just do it every day? Mm -hmm. So I'm a little head scratching on it. 
at this point because the pain I went through with a root canal was significant. <laughs> and so there were significant costs to, I don't know, maybe I could have prevented it. Maybe I couldn't have. Uh, yeah. But so there's some uncertainty about whether flossing would have made the difference at, at all. And there's part of you that just in case you want to floss because it hurt enough that you don't want that to happen again. Maybe it could be flossing that could help. Yeah. Uh-huh. And well, that's what they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, there's times that you're so busy doing other things and you've never really flossed too much before. And so now thinking, well, what's going to, why would I need to change now? But you're thinking that maybe now's the time that you need to do this. Yeah, I think with aging and all that, I, I have to like step up my game mm. in terms of self-care oh, so to compensate for my aging. Oh, okay. Because so as you get older, you're feeling like you're going to need to do a little bit more maintenance on the Yeah, like I can't get away with not doing it. She's, <laughs> she's going to need, okay, so you've skated so far and now you're thinking like this is going to, the wheels are going to come off this thing unless I well, take some serious attention to these teeth. <laughs> <laughs> There's a chance, right? And, and it's a one minute a day that could potentially prevent mm -hmm. problems. So why would I just don't understand why I don't just do it. So now you're at this point where you're starting to think about what you might try to think about getting in a routine that puts you more in line with having teeth when you're elderly. Yeah. Yeah. It's living into my values. Like I care about my health. Mm. I care about my teeth, I guess. <laughs> So there's and part of you who maybe feel, doesn't really give a rip because well, you can no, always I go do. dentures. You can go dentures. <laughs> I do care. I do care. But why am I not living into my mm -hmm. values of Because you have a lot of cognitive dissonance around this where I you do. kind of feel uncomfortable because there's part of you that you do such a good job taking care of yourself otherwise that well, what the hell is going on with the teeth? Yeah, it doesn't line up. Yeah. So talk a little bit about strategies that you've tried so far. Okay, so the strategies I've used last night, because I knew I was going to maybe talk about this, I was just like, <laughs> I should start now. And so I did last night. Oh, I think I'm using more of a guilt kind of motivation sort of thing where like, I'm like, God, just like, I feel bad that I haven't. So it, that'll kind of motivate me to do it so that the guilt mm. will be relieved if I floss. Mm-hmm. My other strategies are just, I, I've tried to just make it part of my routine at night. So you don't even have to think about it, that it you're just flossing before you realize it. Yeah, I just do it. Uh-huh. And that's worked for a few days and then I fell oh. off. Okay, so you got a couple of days out of this thing. Yeah. The habit idea and the guilt idea have been partially successful, right? Because you got, you got some floss between those teeth a couple of days. That's pretty good, actually. Some people don't ever even do it at all. So you're doing you're doing some pretty strong work there. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> oh, Lex. Okay. So what are your ideas moving forward? Where are you gonna go next? Well, I think I should just start doing it. Okay. Okay. So like yesterday. I started last night. So I'm on I've already got one day. Okay. In. Okay. So I think I just after this conversation I'm feeling more Now that you're getting held accountable by the audience. Yeah. Now that I've said it out loud to everyone, I feel like I'm, I'll am i be more likely to follow through on my 
behavior change. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so because it's really important for your for your health, some people notice that they really like the appearance of their teeth after they floss because they can kind of see the plaque is gone between their teeth. Is that is that something that's relevant for you? No. <laughs> okay. I think okay. I mean, I get immediate reward from brushing my teeth. It's mm. like a feels like a shower and I feel all fresh. Mm-hmm. But flossing really doesn't do it for me. So there's okay. no immediate reward. Okay, so that's not that. I was just kind of curious because some people are into it like they like the massaging of their gums with a piece of string and nip. Well, maybe I could get into that. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it it's going to work for you. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're thinking I'm just going to get in the habit and force myself to to do this. Just strong arm yourself into it. Yeah, I think once I get into it, it'll be easy to stay into it. Mm-hmm. And it, but when I fall out of it, that's harder to get back in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What ideas do you have that might make it more likely that you'll be able to stay consistent with it? Making it part of my evening routine. Okay. Okay. So when when in your routine? Okay, right before bed. Are you going to do it before or after you brush your teeth, or where in your routine are you thinking? I I feel like that I should be saying a certain thing there. I don't know what the answer. Are you supposed to floss after you brush your teeth? I don't floss. (laughs) (laughs) I just started it like a couple times a week. Maybe. We'll see. So I think think you're supposed to. I don't think you should be so judgmental about how you're doing this. I think like any flossing is good. Yeah, but it could be better, Amy. Well, you don't have to be perfect about about flossing. I think you should give give yourself a break about it. Okay, we'll talk to the dentist about that. (laughs) Okay, I will. Okay, so so there's <laughs> there you're thinking that you're going to put work it into your routine every night. Yes. Do you have any ideas of what could make it more likely for you to be successful? Mm, not really. It just feels like I have to just push myself to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's not really any reward system or I mean, I guess my friends could check it check it out with me to see how I'm doing. I'm much more likely to be on it for that oh, reason. Okay, so you could ask some people to hold you accountable. Yeah. And maybe ask you to post a picture of your teeth, of your dirty floss, <laughs> or you could set up a, like a page or something on I your could have an Instagram, Instagram yep. picture yep. of your teeth every night. People could follow. People that care about your dental <laughs> hygiene, everybody could be on that page and yeah. see it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But am I going to do that? No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so that's a bad idea. I have an idea. Is it okay if I share it with you? Yes. Okay. What do you think about the idea of treating yourself to something if you completed your flossing for like, say, a couple days or a week or something? Mm, I like that. Some sort of reward system. Mm-hmm. Where you get to treat yourself to something good if you do it. Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah. Another strategy some people find effective is just even logging the success of your project. So do you mind if I give you another idea? Okay. What do you think sure. about the idea of putting up a chart in your bathroom where you brush your teeth and floss? And then as a little reminder, you could put a picture of some rotten teeth <laughs> of some really like some really bad dental hygiene up there and have a little check mark where your teeth in a good picture with, you know, your name next to it and then have a check mark 
every time you do it that week. Uh-huh. The reason why I'm thinking that idea might work is that that's where the direction you want to go and the thing you want to avoid. And so you could even do a time-lapsed photo of yourself with really good-looking teeth and then one with really <laughs> bad-looking teeth as a little reminder to of what you want out of your your older years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that idea? Um, That one, I feel like that one is just like going to increase my guilt Oh, okay. about it it would bring even more guilt and shame which okay. I, I have an, I have plenty of guilt going on okay that is not good I though. like the reward part okay so you're gonna you're thinking about going with that okay what ideas do you have for a reward for I'm thinking getting this bubble, thing done? bubble tea what mm-hmm. on Fridays or something every Friday if I've made it the week okay if you got to flush your teeth one time a week you can get a bubble tea no, I was thinking seven times a oh week. Oh my gosh! I think, Lexi, that is that may not be sustained. I, I, I mean, I, I think I love your ambition, but I also think, come on, like you got to give yourself a break. Like nobody's perfect. Just I, but you set the goal you want, obviously. But I'm just as your sister, I'm thinking. Golly, that's high expectations. This is a problem I have is going overboard. So. Okay, I think that makes sense. Five, maybe? Five times? Okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, what kind of bubble tea are you going to get? I like the mango green tea bubble tea with boba. Oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Okay, and um, do you have all the supplies you need at home? Do you have your floss? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I have plenty of floss. Mm Mm-hmm. Some people really appreciate experimenting with different kinds of floss in case they find something like a kind they like. So that's another idea if the bubble tea technique doesn't cut it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're thinking that in the next week, because today is Monday, so you'll get a tea this Friday if you make it five times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've already got one behind me. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you only have to do four more, so you could skip tonight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It still gets your tea. Okay. How confident on a scale of 1 to 10 do you think that you're going to be successful if 10 was like, I got this in the bag, and 1 is mm, not going to happen? I'd say that I'm at a 8 right now. It's more like 9, 10 for Friday. But the long-term maintenance oh, of this uh-huh. is where I maybe fall into more of a four okay. or so. Okay. Yeah. So if you're saying you might be like an eight now, what ideas do you have to make it an 8.5? Just a little bit more confident in your long-term capability of maintaining this bad boy, this practice. Hmm. I don't know what else I could do. I mean, the reward system's good. Okay. And, you're and then gonna, you I think do once I every- get it going, it'll just stay in lockdown. Okay. So really the high risk is the beginning time until you get it into habit. And so you really have to invest a lot of energy right at the get-go until you make it a habit. What yeah. do you know about how long you have to do something to make it a habit? I know there's some sort of number that yeah. I'm going for, but I don't remember what it is. Do you yeah. know? I think it's around 21 days. Yeah, everybody's shaking their head. They think that sounds about right. And so you've got this first three weeks that are all hands on deck that you really want 
to focus your attention on this. And afterwards, you might not need as much reinforcement. Okay. I could do three weeks. Now you're committing to three weeks flossing five times a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, a week. (laughs) Whoa. whoa. Yeah. What if you can do it like on Friday, you didn't floss and you do five times that day? Are you going to do that? No, 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 no. It has to be once a day max. Okay. Every 24 hour period. Okay. And so you're not going to say it has to be at bedtime or anything. It just has to be sometime during the day. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it sounds like you're on your way. I have a lot of confidence in your ability to be able to pull this off because I've seen you brush your teeth your whole life. (laughs) And you've got some really good hygiene habits. You're really good at brushing your teeth and you've had really good teeth your whole life. And so I'm confident that you're going to take this to the next step and you're not going to need dentures. So kudos to you, Lexi, and I wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Amy. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That was filled with so much humor. Yeah, it was like light and playful. Yeah. Even though it's truly a behavior change I want to make. I liked how Amy was just light and kind of, she didn't seem to have an agenda with me. It was sort of just wherever I wanted to go with it. Does that feel true to what you were thinking through as you were doing the interviewing, Amy? I was trying to have it be client-centered. So I was trying to really focus on her ideas of what to do. And so that's why I kept asking her about her, what she's tried so far, or what her ideas and what she thinks might work. I asked for permission, then I gave her some of my ideas about the picture of the rotten teeth. And so my idea did not fly. And so do you guys notice when she said, nope, I w- totally ruled with resistance. And I was like, yeah, that was a bad idea. And I dropped it <laughs> yeah. instantaneously, right? Because I know that I'm not going to win that fight. It also sounded like it gave her more confidence in the places where she was slightly confident beforehand. The reward system seemed like a pretty good idea to her from an outsider's viewpoint. But once she didn't like your idea of the rotten teeth photo, (laughs) she seemed to like the reward idea even more. She's like, oh, okay, well, that won't work. But I guess the reward system really will maybe work better. (laughs) Yeah, my idea is a lot better than that. (laughs) Yeah, so I gave her something to rally against. Mm So and that and you know what I'll take it anything right. I can get to help her her reach her goal is really important to me Another thing I did is I was trying to develop the discrepancy in her mind about who she wants to be and the kind of teeth that she wants to have when she gets older compared to what her behavior is now and so trying to elicit a kind of cognitive dissonance between where she wants to go with her health and her current behavior. So that way she might be more motivated to change her behavior to relieve that cognitive dissonance. So that was another thing I tried to demonstrate. I definitely heard that. Mm -hmm. See, another thing I was trying to do is I was trying to emphasize her self-efficacy for other behaviors, similar behaviors, that she may be able to encourage her confidence to build her confidence and being able to accomplish things like this before. When I talked about her brushing her teeth and how she's made it so long with these (laughs) teeth and that she's actually doing pretty good and to kind of hope to remind her that her teeth are looking pretty good. Like this is not a catastrophic situation here. So that's one of the principles of motivational interviewing is to support activation and self-efficacy of, of the person. 
Well, and in the experience, as I reflect back now, I feel like a lot of motivation to really? do this. Yeah, I do. I feel like I'm now going to start. This is going to be a, the moment in time where I shift into a, being a flosser. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I know. And... <laughs> It's like before before flossing and after flossing. Yeah, this it's is weird. <laughs> it's like something I've tried to change for a while, but right now I'm feeling like this feels different. I feel more committed to it. It seems like the process kind of gave me some space to just think about it and, you know, play with the ideas and the dissonance that I'm having and then to come to a conclusion. Yeah, I had a question about that, actually, because you just used the word space. And I was wondering, you know, have you ever talked about flossing for this long in your life? Have you ever spent this much time? Right. (laughs) It's flossing. So, you know, it's maybe a small part of the day, but hopefully a daily part of every day, right? With something like motivational interviewing, I imagine that whatever you're bringing in, whatever you're struggling with behaviorally, just simply having the space to kind of go to every single edge of it would be incredibly helpful. So you kind of understand, well, this is why I'm not doing it. And this is why I want to. And I don't think that a lot of times people give themselves the opportunity to explore that thoroughly. Instead, like you said earlier, Lexi, it's more, well, you just have to do it. You just should be doing it. So why why am I not doing it? Mm -hmm. But you actually maybe got some better sense of why you're not and how you could. Yeah. We examined it in a way that I've never examined it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So how does this translate to kind of more day-to-day relationship? Well, there's a lot of different kind of principles that you could take away from motivational interviewing and how we might support our friends, our loved ones, and changes that, that they may be really wanting to make. The first thing that comes to mind is that we don't try to use motivational interviewing for bad Right. So you don't try to change somebody's mind to change their behavior if they don't want to do it. That's not actually motivational interviewing. Right. Because motivational interviewing is based on the idea that you're helping someone make a change that they want to do. So you can't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. Yeah, because otherwise it would be manipulation. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. And that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And that's not who we want to be. Podcast listeners. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Do it. So some of the things that are really helpful is having a lot of respect for the fact and the understanding that a person is doing the current behavior because it makes sense for them. If there's some reason why it is important for them to to do the thing that they're doing. And at the same time, the exact same time, they don't really like to do it either. So I think having respect for them as a human and that they're stuck is imperative and not forcing someone or telling them what to do is helpful. So those are some of the things I think about in relationships that might be helpful. As a friend, partner, or or parent, just giving space to our loved ones to talk about the changes that they want to make and look at from every angle around it could be a huge gift to the people we love. Well, Amy, thank you so much for yeah. for joining us today. It's been really fun. Yeah, to, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, it's been really cool to listen and also to see the two of you as sisters, too. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Opal, please visit us online at 
opalfoodandbody.com or follow along on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We would love for any review or feedback you have of the podcast. So please go to your podcast app and leave a little comment for us. Yeah, we want to hear um, what you think about Lexi's flossing. Can she do it? (laughs) (laughs) I really like that idea. Yeah, get on get oh, on Instagram, man. get on Facebook, and let us know if you want to put any bets on yeah. Lexi. <laughs> My confidence is an eight, but uh, what is yours? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Talk to you next time. Bye.